Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Well, the 2017 NFL season is boiled down to just three more games and four more teams as we get ready for Conference Championship Weekend. And who would have thought in August that this year's penultimate round in the NFL would consist of Tom Brady and Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles? That list of quarterbacks, sans Tom Brady, of course, might not sound appealing, but the overall quality of football teams that are knocking on the door of Super Bowl 52 is more than appealing and full of intrigue. And joining me once again to break this all down is honorary friend of the program, Hal Bent, who covers the NFL and the Patriots for musketfire.com and fullpresscoverage.com. What's up, Hal? Are you ready for this penultimate round of the NFL season? David, I am ready and excited for some football here. What a great weekend we had last week in the divisional round, and I am ecstatic to see these two big games on Sunday this week. Oh, you said it, Hal. Uh, on this show, I have prayed to the football gods to deliver us a better playoff product than last year, and boy, have they delivered. You, you, most of the games have been decided by a score or less, and several have come on the last play, including the Minneapolis miracle that will be talked about for decades and generations to come. Uh, that finish is easily the most legendary finish to an NFL playoff game. Uh, that's not a Super Bowl that I've ever seen, personally. What about you, Hal? Oh, I, I agree completely. I, I think I stood there in shock for about two minutes with my eyes wide open and jaw hanging open. I just could not. I mean, I all I thought was maybe they can get in range for a field goal. And when Diggs broke free and was running down the, the sideline, I was just absolutely shocked. I couldn't even make a sound. It was just the unbelievable finish. And, and that's what makes football so exciting week in, week out, year in, year out. Uh, it's just you never know what's going to happen, and what a fantastic finish that was. And without further ado, let's take a look at these conference championship matchups, starting with your New England Patriots in their seventh straight AFC championship game, hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars in a rematch of the 1996 AFC Championship game. That Jaguars team had Tom Coughlin as head coach, Mark Brunel under center, the legendary Fred Taylor running back, Tony Baselli at left tackle. Those inaugural Jaguars teams were pretty special, but this team could pose an even greater challenge uh, to the Patriots, especially with the elephant in the room. Even though I'm personally not concerned about it, as was reported um, a couple hours ago by Michael Felger of 98.5 The Sports Hub and NBC Sports Boston, uh, he reported that uh, that Tom Brady in that thumb injury, there was no fracture or ligament damage. It was just a cut from hitting the buckle on an other player's helmet. It required four stitches around his knuckle, though, but should have little to no effect, according to Felger. But uh, given the fact that Brady in his press conference today was wearing two gloves in the press conference and was coy about uh, playing on Sunday, responding, we'll see. Um, the reporter who asked him whether or not he'll play Sunday, um, Ben Bolin, um, who is one of the two most trustworthy guys on the Patriots beat, in my opinion, Ben Bolin of the Boston Globe, he said that that raises his level of concern about Brady quite a bit. Now, I still think Tom Brady plays, and I'm personally not worried about it. I think Felger is onto something, and I think that's what David Chow said, that there was some damage, and it will have minimal effect on him. That's where I, uh, that's what Chow suspected, and, and I believe Felger's report confirmed that, but uh, Volan uh, has every right to be concerned given the optics, but on a scale of 1 to 10, 
how concerned should Patriots fans be about Tom Brady's thumb injury? I, I would put it at about a one. As far as I'm concerned, if his hand is attached, he's playing. And if his hand isn't attached, it's a 50-50 on that because there's nothing that's going to stop Tom Brady from taking the field on Sunday in the AFC Championship game. That much, anybody that's followed Tom Brady's career, you know how he got his start with the injury to Drew Bledsoe. He's not about to do anything, especially on a stage like this, to give that away. And uh, Ian Rappaport tweeted out just a little while ago as well that his sources said that Brady was, and in quotes, zinging it pretty good today. So uh, if Brady was throwing the ball around in practice and there's no setbacks, I don't think there should be any level of concern at all uh, in New England here, even though this has been the news cycle for three straight days here nonstop. I'm with you, Hallett. Even if it has a minimal effect at worst, as David Chow suggested, it should not uh, affect Tom Brady too much at all as to force the difference between winning and losing because Brady's game is predicated on those short, quick passes. And even with a um, subpar thumb, uh, you can throw those passes. Like Brett Favre, I remember, played a game on a subpar thumb. He had no problems. And I think Brady is going to have no little to no problems either. But I, I, I go ahead, Hal. I was going to agree, David, and I was also going to just add in as well that I don't think he's throwing deep in the game plan anyway with Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye out on the edges as well. Oh, absolutely. That definitely has to be part of the game plan for the Patriots, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But let's talk about this Jaguars team uh, for a second. Uh, because I, even though the Patriots are favored in this game, this is an opponent that you cannot sleepwalk over because if there has been any person who has known how to beat Tom Brady and succeeded, it's Tom Coughlin. And since taking over as executive vice president of this uh, Jaguars roster, some players he inherited, some he brought in, uh, but the final piece he added in, this roster is now similarly constructed, albeit without a proven franchise quarterback, like those Giants teams that upset the Patriots in two Super Bowls with a lethal defensive line, a team that could play smash mouth and run the ball on you all day. Uh, and also their defense in many ways is reminiscent of that 2015 Broncos defense with studs on all three levels with a pass defense that will absolutely shut you down and a pass rush that can get to you without even having the blitz. And that defense knocked the Patriots off in the 2015 AFC Championship game. And the Jaguars, you can't debate, uh, with the exception of Bortles, they have all the ingredients. Do you think the media is overlooking Jacksonville's chances? I don't think so. Uh, you know, there's been some media that have been very keyed on this point as well. Um, here in Boston, it's kind of mixed between the, you know, the Patriots are going to run away with it and the Patriots are in big trouble because, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people in New England who are very afraid of Tom Coughlin. And if he's within... 20 miles of Foxborough, they're breaking out into a sweat here. So, uh, like you said, that defense is so strong and gives that offense such great field position, puts points on the board. There's just teams just don't do that. And, you know, Jacksonville getting, you know, whether it's 10, 14 points a game from that defense, that'll swing the balance of any game. And that you know, there's no way you can overlook this team because they've earned their way into the AFC championship game this year. Absolutely, they have. And I still think the Patriots uh, should be favored, and I think they're going to win. But I think Jacksonville is going to give it all they got, and the Patriots should absolutely be expecting 
that kind of a game. And in preparation for such a game, do you think the Patriots should be willing to place a ball control offense? And I don't mean running the ball. I just mean in terms of tempo, like don't go like uh, up-tempo, uh, especially when the game uh, has established itself in order to wear out the Jaguars defensively, try to punch them in the mouth and beat them at their own game? They may. I would be more interested in seeing them in a hurry-up running offense here against Jacksonville. That's an offense that the Patriots used around 2011-2012 when Stephen Ridley was at running back that they could incorporate and dust off that plan with Deion Lewis. And, and that would be attacking a team that, you know, with the short passes— and then rushing up to the line on second and short or on the first down and pounding a running play before that defense was ready. And, and they use that offense a lot to wear down a defense and not allow them to substitute where they couldn't get their players on and off the field. And that may be a plan that they dust off this week to try to wear down that Jacksonville defense by not letting them get off the field and forcing them to rush back to the line of scrimmage and get set and attack them through the air and through the run as well. Yes, and on the ground is where the Jaguars' defense is at its weakest. So I definitely anticipate the Patriots running the ball with Rex Burkhead and uh, Deion Lewis as well as throwing those short passes to them. That, I believe, is going to be their bread and butter for success against this amazing, amazing defense. And now let's uh, play our game called Fill in the Blank. In order for the Jaguars to pull off the upset, Blake Bortles needs to repeat blank percent of his stat line from last week. I would say close to 100, if not 110% of his stat line. He may have to do a little more. I, I totally agree. As efficient as he was last week, he only threw for one touchdown. I think he's going to have to throw for more touchdowns against Tom Brady and the Patriots. Do you? Definitely. I think the magic number for Jacksonville is they're going to have to somehow, whether the defense puts them in position, whether there's any defensive scores, but they're going to have to put up somewhere between 24 to 27 points in order to outscore the Patriots. Because no matter how good your defense is against the Patriots this year, they have that secret weapon who's not a secret and Rob Gronkowski, who you play the man, you're going to lose to Gronkowski. You play zone, you're going to lose to Gronkowski. You blitz, you're going to lose to Gronkowski as the outlet valve. He is the difference maker on that Patriots offense and almost guarantees that you're going to be they're going to be scoring somewhere around 24 to 27 points themselves. So the Jaguars, no matter how great that defense is, is going to have to find a way to get those points on the board. And Blake Bortles is going to have to make plays to push the ball downfield for them. And above all, I think, I think it comes down to that pass rush for the Jaguars. They have to be in Tom Brady's face like the Broncos were two years ago and like the Giants did in Super Bowl 42 uh, to um, dash the Patriots' hopes of becoming the second defeated team in NFL history. It's going to have to be that pass rush. If that pass rush doesn't get to Tom Brady, the Jaguars stand little to no chance. And also with that Broncos 2015 AFC Championship game, don't forget that the Broncos put Aqib Tlaib right on Rob Gronkowski, right on the line of scrimmage. And they blanketed him with their best cornerback. And reports out of Jacksonville seem to be that they're not 
considering unless they're, you know, trying to, um, you know, not being completely truthful, but, you know, it's signs point to put Jalen Ramsey on Rob Gronkowski at some point in this game, because your most physical, your best coverage person at the point of the ball, at the point of attack should be on the biggest target, the best player on the opposing team. And with Jacksonville's defensive coordinator, Wash, coming out and saying, we're going to play our game the way that we play it, you know, I think that's a strategic mistake on the part of the Jaguars if they do indeed don't put Jalen Ramsey on Rob Gronkowski. Agree, agree, agree. And when you look at this Jaguars offense, I think their best chance to win this game offensively is obviously the running game, which has carried them all year with obviously Leonard Fournette and in the postseason, the legs of Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles has picked up key first downs with his legs. He did it in the wildcard round against Buffalo. He did it last week against Pittsburgh. But everybody knows the Patriots are going to force Bortles to beat them with his arm. So how exactly will the Patriots take away the Jaguars running game, including the legs of Blake Bortles? Well, they're going to stay in their man coverage schemes. That's what they've been running since week six. And we all know how horrible that defense was before week six. So there's no reason to change that up. I think you're going to see a lot of what they did against Tennessee last week, where they're bringing Patrick Chung up close to the line of scrimmage as kind of that uh, seventh or eighth man in the box. There's a player that Patriots have at inside linebacker who's been playing. Uh, his playing time has gone up marketably in the past four weeks um, is Marquise Flowers. Uh, Trey Flowers gets the attention for the New England pass rush, but Marquise Flowers was acquired from Cincinnati at the end of train at the end of the uh, preseason, actually, for a seventh round draft pick. He was a special teams player in Cincinnati. He played all of two defensive snaps the entire season last year. And the Patriots have put him in that middle linebacker role as that quarterback spy. They did that on Mar- He was in that role against Marcus Mariota last week. And they started doing that at the end of the season um, against Buffalo as well and against Tyrod Taylor. And he is probably their fastest linebacker with those special teams instincts that translate over to defense, he can go sideline to sideline and control that quarterback from getting out of the pocket and running, especially where they're playing man-to-man behind him, where most of those defenders have their back to the quarterback. And usually that's a recipe to allow the quarterback to be able to get out into some lanes and run the ball. It'll be interesting to see how they limit the Jaguars' ground attack. And what do you think will be the game-deciding matchup, and what is your final score prediction? I think the biggest matchup could be the Jaguars' third cornerback, Aaron Colvin, going up against the Patriots' slot receiver, Danny Amendola. Um, You know, the Jaguars' secondary is fantastic. We know what Jalen Ramsey can do. We know how good A.J. Boye is. If they're on the outside occupying Chris Hogan and um, and taking away that deep passing, that intermediate passing game, the Patriots have to compensate with that short passing game. And usually in these situations, you're going to see Tom Brady is looking to that third cornerback. So if this is a situation like the Super Bowl against uh, Seattle, where once Jeremy Lane left that game injured, 
Brady picked on that replacement cornerback going to Amendola and going to Edelman repeatedly. Well, he's only got Amendola this time. So Aaron Colvin is someone that could be having a very, very busy game and getting a lot of attention from Jacksonville. And I think with Brady getting the ball out quickly against that fantastic front four for Jacksonville, he's going to need that slot receiver. And Amendola is going to have to win some one-on-one matchups against Colvin for the Patriots to be able to convert first downs and move the ball down the field. That could very well be the game-deciding matchup, especially considering the fact that quarterbacks like Brady often target that third corner, your most vulnerable corner. And, heck, that's the Patriots' way as well, to to make your team's biggest weakness on defense beat you as well as your team's biggest weakness on the other side of the ball uh, beat you. Um, For predictions, um, I'm actually going to go first here. I like the Patriots in this game, although I do think the Jaguars are going to give it all they've got. It's going to be competitive for three quarters, but I eventually think the Patriots pull away in the end and win 24 to 13. What about you, Hal? I've got it pretty similar to that. I have the Patriots 27 to 13. I think it's just a matter of that Patriots offense just wears teams down. And by the end of, like you said, in that second half, when those defenses are out for 50, 60, the game gets up to 70, 80 snaps on defense. You know, they, they're just a machine in New England. That offense is a machine. Brady operates it with precision, and eventually they wear that down. And on the other side of the ball, the Patriots, you know, they showed they could stop the run against the Titans last week. If there's any chance of doing that against Leonard Fournette, he looked like a different player in the second half after he had limped off the field and then came back. If he's not 100%, if he's 85%, that really limits that Jacksonville offense. And I don't think they're going to be able to put up enough points to be able to uh, meet, get to that magic number in the twenties and be able to pull off the upset in new England. So we are agreed. The new England Patriots once again, will make it to the super bowl. And if you like old school football with defenses and low scoring games, You're probably going to like the Vikings and the Eagles taking on each other in the NFC Championship game. I expect an old-school, low-scoring defensive slugfest in this game. And uh, first, let's talk about the Vikings, though. Does the Minneapolis miracle that we referred to at the top of the show and the fact that Super Bowl 52 will be played in Minneapolis at U.S. Bank Stadium give you a feeling that the Vikings are a team of destiny? Or is that added pressure to come through against a tough Eagles team on the road. Yeah, I I think it's added pressure. You know, I mean, you're up so high after winning that game. And if it's anything other than that final game of the season, it's just natural that there's going to be a letdown afterwards. And I think for Minnesota, you know, you probably had 48 hours of everybody was walking around with their heads in the cloud because they couldn't believe that they were still playing football Uh, the way that game ended. And, you know, they may have to, you know, they may be a little bit slow at the beginning of the game. They might have a little bit of a hangover there. That's usually what happens with these miracle games with those finishes sometimes. So um, I'm thinking that's given the Eagles a little bit of an advantage right there where um, Minnesota had that such that euphoric high that it's hard to come down from there and get back to earth. 
I worry about that as well, which leads us to our next question. What do you think is a greater factor? The Eagles being the underdog or the Vikings being a team of destiny? Um, I well, the Eagles played the under the underdog card pretty well last week. I'm you know again they're a home underdog two weeks in a row as the number one seed. There are a lot of prideful players as we talked about last week on both sides of the ball for the Eagles and a lot of veterans who are probably behind those doors chirping away at those younger players and building up that um, you know that cred of you know nobody believes in us. Nobody thinks we can do it. We went out and showed them, and they still don't believe us. I think that's a bigger motivating factor for the Eagles right there and is going to have a, a bigger impact come on Sunday afternoon. That is a very, very, very solid possibility, Hal. But if there was any weakness from the Eagles' performance last week, which was excellent, dare I say, against uh, Atlanta, it was their red zone offense. They couldn't get the ball in the end zone. And uh, they were only able to cross the goal line just one time. And yes, that proved to be the big difference in the game. But uh, Teron Davenport, who's been on this program before, who covers the Eagles for CSN Philadelphia, he wrote a piece earlier this week saying that the Eagles probably need to score more than one touchdown to beat the Vikings. Do you agree with Teron's assessment? And if so, how many touchdowns do you think the Eagles need to score in order to win this game? Yeah, I think I agree with that, that they're not going to get away with a one touchdown win. I think they're going to have to score two, maybe three times um, to to get over the hump against the Vikings, because that as great as that Eagles defense is that Vikings offense. I keep doubting Case Keenum and he keeps coming through week after week after week. And, you know, there's just too much talent on that offensive passing game for the Vikings to think that you're going to win um, by scoring 10 points or 13 points in the NFC championship game. Yes. And that's why this game, I have a gut feeling will be very, very close until the very, very end, just like that Viking saints game was. And just like that Eagles Falcons game was last week. And speaking of the Viking saints game, uh, one of the most alarming things for the, about the Vikings' performance was that Drew Brees rendered that pass rush non-existent in the second half, and it's normally one of the most ferocious pass rushes in the league. How can the Vikings get their pass rush cranked up back to normal against arguably a better offensive line but a worse quarterback? I think for the Vikings, the best way to do that is they've got to stop that Eagles' rushing attack on first and second down. They've got to put the put the pressure onto Nick Foles. He needs to be in third and seven, third and eight, third and 10 situations. And when they're in that situation, when it's third and short, Foles has the ability. He has the, the tight ends in with the Eagles who can run those three yard routes and catch the first down. He's got Nelson Aguilar third and short, not a problem for the Eagles. No panic. Once it gets to third and long, when you've already know you've got Xavier Rhodes taking away half the, the field, it's a lot easier to cover everybody else trying to get out there. And so for the Vikings, first and foremost is going to have to be stop the run on early downs to put additional pressure on the Eagles and uh, stop them from moving the ball down the field. And speaking of the running game, will the winner of this game be the team that runs the ball better or will the winner be the team that has the better third down defense? Oh, I think it's going to be third down defense. I, you know, the Vikings are, they've, 
since Dalvin Cook's gone down, the bread and butter has been the passing game. I think it's going to stay the passing game. And for the Eagles, it's going to be cranking up that pass rush in order to get to Keenum to force mistakes. Um, you know, Keenum has been excellent under pressure this year. Uh, Pro Football Focus has him with a 78.5 quarterback rating, which for anybody other than uh, Tom Brady this season is fantastic for a rating under pressure. Um, So the Eagles have to get Keenum under pressure, and that's going to involve stopping them on third down. And and it's a very similar situation, but rather than stopping the run, stopping the, the, the Vikings passing game on first and second down, um, not giving them those opportunities on third and short to attack with the running backs out of the backfield or Kyle Rudolph as well and and converting a lot of first downs. So I see it on both sides. That third down defense is going to be key in this game. Yes, the Vikings have the best third down defense in the league this year. And when the Eagles were quarterback with Carson Wentz, they have the best third down offense in this league. But the loss of Carson Wentz could prove to be the difference in that battle if the Vikings end up winning. And what do you think will be the game-deciding matchup, and what is your prediction for this intriguing NFC Championship? I think for the Eagles, the the key is going to be cornerback Jalen Mills. Mills has had some struggles this season. He's going up against uh, probably going to be covering Stephon Diggs most of the game. So Mills has given up nine touchdowns in coverage this year. And if the Vikings get a couple of quick hits to Stephon Diggs in the first half of the game, they could ice this one away, away pretty early and put a lot of pressure on the Eagles, who with Nick Foles aren't really built to come from behind like the Saints were able to do last week. Yes, and who do you think comes out on top and what, once again, I expect will be a very close game until the final second? Yeah, I I think this is going to be a very close one. Um, I was almost right on my prediction last week with the Vikings. I was waiting for Kai Forbath to to jog onto the field if, uh, if New Orleans hadn't screwed it up, and that was only a reception and putting the pressure on him. But he did hit a 50-yard field goal at the end. But I just don't see it happening for the Vikings. I think the Eagles will generate just enough offense. And their defense is motivated to show that uh, the Vikings may be number one, but they're num- they're not a, they're a 1A or a 1B. They're not a number two behind them. And I have the Eagles uh, slightly ahead of the Vikings, 20-18. to 18. Never... This year, have I wanted to be more wrong about a pick than the one I'm about to make? I so want to see a Patriots-Vikings Super Bowl. Uh, The Patriots against the Eagles without Carson Wentz is the ultimate mismatch to me. And if it is uh, Eagles against Patriots in the Super Bowl, it is going to be Super Bowl 48 all over again with the Patriots um, just running the Eagles out of the building. Uh, But... I I think the Vikings are the best team out of the NFC left that could uh, give the Patriots a test in the Super Bowl. But I agree that they're riding high and that factor, uh, that emotional roller coaster could put them at a slight disadvantage. And even though Carson Wentz has gone, the Eagles, with their offensive and defensive lines, they control the game where it counts at this point of the year, at the line of scrimmage. And I think that is enough to make the difference in a very close game in which the Eagles pull out 
16 to 13. Although I want the Vikings to win, I hope I'm wrong, but I think the Eagles pull it out 16 to 13. And Hal, we thank you so much once again for joining us. You can follow Hal on Twitter at HalBento1. Check out his work at musketfire.com and fullpresscoverage.com. Hal, it's been a pleasure covering this season with you, and we will see you in a couple weeks to preview Super Bowl 52. Sounds great. Thank you, as always, for having me, David. I love being on with you. We love having you as well. And also keep in mind, folks, that from Monday to Saturday of next week, Sports Crunch will be in Mobile, Alabama to cover the Reese's Senior Bowl, one of the key events in the final lead-up to the 2018 NFL Draft. So be sure to visit sportscrunch.com for daily blog entries and audio content from the Senior Bowl. It's going to be a fun week, and we look forward to bringing you tremendous coverage all week long. So please check us out all week for that coverage. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch. And remember, that is crunch with a K. And that is so we can improve our iTunes rating and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. And for Hal Bent, our producer Chris Brodhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.